0: Would y'all give him a hand? This has been a ton of work leading up to this Sunday. Thanks, guys. If you're visiting with us, welcome to a money Sunday. You picked the best one. All right, so I've got a couple of things I got to do. I got to grab my podium, and I think this would be an appropriate time in the service if you realized that you picked the wrong seat or you walked past the blanket but probably should have grabbed one. I am a very hard guy to distract. I got... Man, look at this, serving me, I don't appreciate that. Um, I got a bunch of kids, I was involved in camp ministry, those kids screaming while I'm in the middle of this tearful point, it's one of my favorite things on the planet, so they are not going to bother me a bit, neither are you. So if you want to grab a seat, or grab a blanket, change your seat, you can do so now. Any takers? There we go, maybe one or two good, all right, good stuff. All right, guys, if you would, go ahead and flip, uh, flip. If you have your Bibles, you can flip. If you got the printout, since we don't have any projection today, you can just turn. We are going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. That's where we're going to kick off. Uh, One of my favorite things, I'm assuming that this is the same for you guys. One of my favorite things is when I have a secret that nobody else knows. And it's a good secret. It's not like a, oh, no, God's got to work on me kind of a secret. But it's one of those good, I don't have that for you today, by the way. Um, But my kids do all the time. Um, And I think it's because of the, it's either because of the age they are or very poor dental hygiene. But teeth are just falling out of my kid's head at a rapid rate. We have a trampoline that doesn't hurt either. And, And so one of my favorite things is when a kid has lost their tooth, and they don't just, when, when I get home from work, they're not just like, Dad, look, I lost my tooth. There's like this whole thing. Nobody better tell Dad that I lost my tooth. If you tell him, then I'm going to pound you, right? This is not going to end well for you. And they walk up, and they're like, hey, Dad, how was your day? Did you have a good day at work? I'm like, you never ask me about my day. What are you doing with your mouth? Open your mouth, open your mouth. And then they open and they grin and they've got these huge holes in their mouth and they start cheering and I high five them and the next thing you know, we're hearing the story. Oh, I got a fork out of the thing I was digging or I got my brother and he was just yanking and they have all this joy to share with me about this incredible thing that had happened. And um, a, a couple of nights ago, I think it was on Tuesday. Uh, I'm, I'm laying in bed. Karen Ann's right next to me, and it wasn't one of our kids. All of a sudden, she starts screaming, and that usually means it usually means bug, right? That's all my wife screams about. There's a bug, um, but she she pulls up her phone and she starts yelling. I'm like, oh gosh, what? You know, like what's going on? I'm good. I, I'm living. A I'm not worried about whatever she's going to find on my phone. But she starts screaming, and she shows me that daggum Amazon, after I archived the order, showed her the notification of, our, of her anniversary gift. Next month is our 15-year anniversary. And, and so she saw it three weeks before she was supposed to see it. And then what happens? She starts jumping up and down on the bed like one of our kids. She starts screaming. It's a wonderful, wonderful night. But uh, the only person that had more joy than she did was me. And it, It was probably mostly because, on the one hand, I could have been upset that she found out early, but there is something about being the person that gets to bring joy to someone else. And I I don't wanna go hyper spiritual on this, I think it's biblical. I think the fact that you and I were created in God's image makes it to where it's just how our soul was designed. Our soul is designed to find more gladness when we bring joy to someone else than when we go seeking for it ourselves. And I I think almost all of us who have given a gift to someone that we really knew they were going to love. We know this. It's so much better. We receive more gladness when we're giving joy than when we go hunting for it ourselves. And I think that is exceedingly biblical. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So I I, I want to pray for every one of us. And then we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. God, you are good, abundantly good, gracious to us. We sing it because it's true. We read it because it's true. We share it with one another because it's true, and we are leaning on you as we desire to see this building built, not because a church is a building, but that you would give us a residence. You would give us a home. You would give your people a home where ministry comes out, not that we would have some comfortable little place to go and hang out, but that more ministry into the nations and into our neighborhoods would be enabled through that very practical thing. And as we come here, there is another very practical thing. And it doesn't have anything to do with the building. It has everything to do with our souls. We need to receive the generosity that you have given us through your son. And even for those of us who responded to the gospel at a young age, maybe there are people in this room that have been walking with you for 50 years or more. Every single day, your mercies are new because we need them new. Every single day, we need the reality of the work of Christ on the cross. And as we sit in this room with little cups of juice and these little things that we're calling bread, Father, we are surrounded all the time by a generous, generous God. And so I pray that you would help us be like Christ. Help us be a generous, generous people. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. 2 Corinthians verse... Uh, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. For you yourselves know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the great grace exchange. This is Christ. This is what we ended on a couple of weeks ago. This is Christ. Karen, I think I left my cup of water. You, you saw it coming, didn't you? You're just waiting. I never drink this much in my regular life, and then I start preaching, and I don't know, the Holy Spirit's like, you're gonna have to drink a lot. Living water, here we go. What'd you say? Uh yeah but I, I feel like I talk yeah but I talk passionately all the time I talk passionately about stuff that's not even important um What was I saying? Oh, okay, so this verse is a a good way to look at it is the great grace exchange. Christ who has everything, he didn't need anything. I mean, Jesus, the Trinity are living together, all joy, all majesty, all glory, and he looks down at us, broken sinners, and he leaves those riches to come to our poverty. Why? So that our poverty could be met by his gift. We were just singing it. Uh, I left it here. We're just singing this in How Great Thou Art. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden, this is the craziest line, gladly bearing. My burden, my brokenness, your brokenness. Jesus hits the cross. And there may not have been a smile on his face at the moment, but there was a smile in his soul because he knew what he was purchasing. Every one of us who are going to trust in him. And God, his son not sparing, sent him to die. I scarce can take it in that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. This is the great exchange. All right, now check out verse 10. I'm going to read 10 to 12. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. What benefits us? Well, he's going to go into a little context first. The thing that benefits you was something that you started a year ago, not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he doesn't have. What's happening here? Paul's looking at them and he's saying, you had a desire to do something a year ago. Now, in case you don't know the context here, there was a church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was struggling. And so a number of churches in Asia were raising money, gathering money, and sending it to another church that the gospel would continue and their brothers and sisters would be taken care of. And Paul looks at him, he's writing at him, and he's saying, here's the deal. A year ago, you started to have this desire to do something cool. Well, we had a desire to start doing something cool. I can remember back to a much smaller crowd sitting in a small room when we were like, church plant, what do you think? It's like, I don't know, man, this thing sounds pretty sketchy. What if we end up not having a building and having to meet in a farm and there's no air conditioning or anything and there are animals running around and our kids are screaming all the time, oh, that'll never happen. It'll be great. Here we go. And so uh, I remember meeting in that room with a much smaller group of people and, and what was the hope? The hope was that God would build a church we don't need a building to be a church the church is the people gathered but here we are going into year three and God has already teed this up Yeah, If you remember back to that room, I remember standing in front of a screen and saying, we'd love to be right here on this little intersection in Harris County. That was in 2017. Well, then a year and a half go by and we can't find any property. So we start knocking on doors and calling people up and somebody's like, well, I mean, I have property, but, and then we're like, well, we'd like to put a church there. And they're like... Oh, well, if it's going to be a church, yeah, I'd consider selling it. And then somebody else is like, hey, I'd like to buy it for the church. And so, boom, all of a sudden, it's just like, here's 14 acres, Midtree. What do you want to do with it? And so, as we see God continuing this, I think what Paul is saying to them would be a very similar thing to what he's saying to us. You started something good. You had a great desire for something. Now, bring it to completion. I, I, I think desire is a a really fun word when we think about it in the Bible because we all have desires. And some of you may be going in healthy places. Some of you may be going in unhealthy places. But I'm talking about healthy desires. That thing, it's just going to, you're just kind of doing your own thing over there. Stokes, you want me to move it? You're afraid your guitar is going to go somewhere? Where are you? You usually walk out and don't listen to the sermon, right? (laughs) Just grab, yeah, grab his guitar. If that thing falls, I can't lead worship some of y'all need to quit laughing so much because you sat next to me when we we're singing. They're like, protect the guitar. When I think about our desires, hey, you want a building or you what? All right. When I think about our desires, it makes me think of the fact that New Year's is sort of right around the corner. And the same thing that happens for all of us is going to happen. We're going to be like, oh, I got this desire. I want to get healthier. I want to do this with my finances. Maybe I want to learn an instrument. Maybe I want to take a step in education. Maybe I want to be a more prayerful person. I want to share my faith a little bit more. Please hear me out on this. Love, love, love all those desires. God loves all of those desires. But Paul is taking a step beyond that. He's saying there's desire and there's diligence. And he's saying, I want you to have the desire, but here's the problem. If you desire to pray more, great, but it's not until you set your alarm at six or at seven that you actually begin doing it because you were diligent. You want to share your faith more. Ever since you were 14, you convinced yourself that when I get older, it's going to be so much easier to share my faith. Well, now you're older, and you're like, it's no easier to share my faith. But I, I was lying to myself this entire time. I have this desire to grow in my ability and, and actually doing it when it comes to sharing my faith. That's a wonderful desire. But until you tap a brother or sister on the shoulder and you say, look, I just need you to text me once a week. Please don't let me know when it's coming. And just takes me to be like, hey, are you growing in your actually sharing your faith? We have to add diligence to our desire. Why? Because God did. God didn't just desire that those of us who are in Christ would be near him. He diligently covered the entire ground by sending his son. Verse 12, for if the readiness is there, it's acceptable, not according to what a person person has, not according to what he does not. God is never going to ask us to give more than we have. But I think God wants to give us many times deeper resources of grace than we realize, but we have to put ourselves in places of neediness for that. And I think that's why we find this in verse 13. He takes sort of an interesting tact. Check this out, verse 13. For I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that is a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that, that there would be fairness. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but just put your eyes on verse 14 one more time. Just look at that. Do you know what verse 14 is a mirror image of? It's a mirror image of what we just read in 9. It, it's saying that the work that Christ did was way more than we could ever do, and yet it's exactly what we're called to do. We are called to give up out of abundance and excess and care for the poor, the needy, and the, the real felt needs around us so that when felt needs are met, those people turn around and they share abundance. That's the way the community of God works, and I believe that's why we find verse 15. Now, I'm going to read verse 15, and he's gonna, it starts with, As it is written. All right, so some of you VBSers, you grew up like in church and all that. See if you can guess where this is going to come from. Verse 15, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. You know where that comes from? Oh, somebody was being vocal. I've learned to quit asking. Who was being vocal? Where does it come from? Exodus. It comes from the book of Exodus. Great, because we just worked through that as a church, right? So if you want to, do you all have Exodus in your little printouts? Do? Way to go, ducky. All right, everybody go down to Exodus chapter 16. I'm going to start in verse 15. Is that what you guys have? How far does it go? Perfect. All right, go team. All right, administration at work. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? That's actually where the word manna comes from. The word what is it is manna reinterpreted and so these people are walking out and they've been led out of Egypt and God is providing for his people by raining down bread on top of them they walk out and they're like what what is this stuff and it goes on we read this they didn't know what it was and Moses said to them it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat this is what the Lord has commanded gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat you shall each take an omer all right time out I haven't looked this up in a while, but if I'm remembering correctly from youth ministry days, I think an omer's like if you take a two-liter bottle, like a two-liter Coke, and you cut off the rounded part, and it just becomes this big, like, scoop, okay? So I, I think that's a healthy way to think of it. So you got your two-liter measuring cup. Each take a two-liter measuring cup according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent, and the people of Israel did so. I want you to stop there. All right. So here's what's happening. Stuff's falling on the ground. Is God providing for his people? Yes, God's providing for his people. And they're going out and they're grabbing this two liter scoop and they're walking out to where all this bread is on the ground and they're scooping it up. Here's my question. It says that some people gathered much and some people gathered little. That's what we read, right? Correct. I'm not making this up. Here's my question. Who gave them what they needed? You don't have to answer out loud who gave them what they needed? Just answer in your own head. Because my guess is most of you would answer by saying, God, it wasn't. Now, before you start throwing chairs and stones at me, I would never steal glory from God. The bread did come from God, obviously. But check out the rest of this verse. They gathered some more, some less. Verse 18. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. All right, so you you have to understand the logic of this. So here's what's happening. God's people are in the wilderness. They got nothing to eat. Who gives them food to eat? God gives them food to eat. But there's a problem. See, most of us think of this story from Exodus, like everybody's waking up in the morning, they're walking out of their tent, they're scooping up some manna, and they're bringing it into their tent. And that's how God is taking care of them. That is not what the Bible says. The reason we know it's not what the Bible says is because the Bible goes to such great specificity to say, some gathered too little, but they were taken care of. How? How? There are two gatherings happening in this passage in Exodus. And most of us, whether we were watching YouTube, right, like those of you who are kids now, or we grew up listening to some guy with a flannel board or whatever came in between those two things, we thought everybody just went out and you grabbed some manny and blah, blah, blah. Oh, it's so good. It's got honey on it. That's amazing. The bread of the Lord. You go into your tent and everybody's hunky-dory. Not what happened. The first thing that happens is they wake up in the morning. They walk outside and God has given them what they need. And they go and they scoop. But then the Bible tells us that some had way more than they needed. And others, when they grabbed it, looked at their family and they said, there's not enough. The first gathering was God giving them grace. But then what happens? They gather together as a community They take all of this that they have gathered and they bring it together. And when they bring it together, everyone grabs their measuring cup and they go. And uh, I'm going to go, Burton and Greg, you guys have already been up here. So Burton wakes up on morning one. He goes and he's like, oh my gosh, I've just got too much. It was right outside my tent. None of it goes to waste. Greg, two tents down, he's like, Debbie, it's going to be rough tonight, sweetie. Tell the kids not to come over. That's not what happens because Burton takes his into the middle of the community. Greg takes his into the middle of the community. And maybe more miraculously than God even sending it, there's precisely enough for everyone. Why would God do it that way? Because the first way that you and I receive grace is by God giving us grace. But many times the way that we receive grace is when someone else shows it to us. And that's what God is putting on display in Exodus. And that's why Paul is pointing to this. He's saying, there are going to be days when you have too much. Excess is the economy of God for generosity. And then those who do not have enough are taken care of so that they, when they have an excess, have nothing but generosity left in them to turn around and give it to others. I don't know what was a better miracle. The fact that bread fell or the fact that God made people share it and it didn't last more than a day. Both of those things are insane miracles. And this is exactly how Jesus taught us to pray. Right? Think about it. Disciples. Uh, Jesus, how should we pray? You seem to be all about that thing. You disappear all the time. These people need healing. These people need this. And you keep going away to pray. So it must be amazing. How am I supposed to pray? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. A lot of us know that. It's the give us this day our daily bread that puts this on display. I want to pray. Give me this day my weekly bread right? Give me this five days, my seven-day bread, because I got to get my Saturday. There's a game on, right? Give me this day, all my Sabbath days of bread. Give me this day, my retirement. But that's not how it works. Why did God design it this way for his people? Because there were two important things. One, every grace you have been given, bank account, talent, family, community, relationships, education, intellect, ability, Every grace you have been given was given by God. Why? That you as a biblical community would give that grace to others. It's what it's all about. And we find that God loves using this middleman of community. Why, why would the church not just say, "Ah, oh, we're just going to gather up all the rich people, right? Why talk to college students? Am I right, Joe? Definitely right, Okay. Because the beauty in this is that a community is doing it together. That those who have maybe a a great deal of excess and even those who do not are coming and they're saying, what God has put on my heart is to be generous because I've received generosity. That is the goal of the capital campaign. That every one of our members, that everyone who calls Midtree Home would grow in generosity and give in some capacity. Why? Because this is what God has called us to do and to be. Well, how do we do it? Drop down to that next little paragraph, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Some of you are visiting, so I think it's very important that you know this. We are not a prosperity gospel teaching type thing. I'm not saying, now everybody, if you would just sow your seed, we're going to go find some Mercedes. Am I right or am I right? That's not what I'm saying at all. You may give money and your account may not all of a sudden spring back up. That's not why we're giving. We give because we want to see ministry expand. We want to see the gospel expand. We're giving because we want to see Josh and Ducky leave the country. We're giving because we want to see the gospel, not our own kingdom, begin to grow more and more. Verse 7, each one must give. I'm just going to stop there for a minute. Because, I, Joe, I'm just going to keep picking on you, man. Because I know you don't have a ton of money. That's great. I love you. You've been, you've been my buddy since you were about yay high. It doesn't matter how much we have. It matters how generous we are. Tim Keller, I, I don't have this print or anything, but there's a, a quote of his, and it goes something. I'm going to butcher this thing. Um, but it goes something to the effect of, to the degree that we understand the grace that God has given us, to that same degree, we become a generous people. The more we realize we have received, the more we want to give away. And I think that's what we're looking at here. That's the goal. Verse 7, each one, blanket, I'm just sick of it. I just preached to y'all that I don't care about distractions, and now God's like laughing. It's beautiful, Karen Ann. Enjoy that. Those of you who know my wife know like she, anyway. Let's take our family picture right there. <coughs> Each one, verse seven, must give. How do we give? As he has decided in his heart. Two ways not to give. Not reluctantly and not under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. I've been spending a lot of my week thinking about these two ways that the Bible says, please don't give this way. Why would somebody give reluctantly. I, I, I think when we give reluctantly, we're holding back because we're not sure that there's going to be enough if we actually give. The, the idea of reluctance is, uh, if I let go of this, is there going to be enough left for me? Hey, please hear me on this. The enemy would love for you to give reluctantly. He would love for you to. You can mark it off, man. I gave. But when we give reluctantly, what we're actually saying is, I can't trust that God is going to take care of me. Uh, also, we don't want to give under compulsion. This one really had me kind of scratching, like, what makes somebody give out of compulsion? We want 100% of our membership to, to be involved in the capital campaign. So there is this philosophy where you could be like, oh, gosh, we just got to give something. We, we don't want to be the people that make it 98%, okay? So I don't know, baby, let's just figure something out. And, and, and it becomes this idea where we're giving because we have to. The The feeling is I'm giving because I'm losing something, whereas here what we see is the person who is giving not out of compulsion is saying, I get to bring grace to others. Uh, Imagine that day walking through the wilderness when you walk out of your house and there's not enough, and as soon as your head pops up, there's a neighbor in your community saying, hey, I've got enough for you today, and then the next day you take care of one another. That is gospel, community, and mission on display. That's beholding a generous God, believing in a generous gospel, and becoming a generous people. I, I don't have this in my notes, so you may have to strike it from the record. We're bad at this. I, I don't mean you, all right? Just people, and Americans are the worst at this. Got my 401k, got to get my health insurance, got to get my life insurance. Please be diligent. Read Proverbs too, okay? But what I'm saying is, What if we had such a unique gospel community that you knew we were going to take care of your needs? What if you actually believed that? Because that's what we see written all over the pages of Scripture. Whatever it is that God puts on your heart, please don't be reluctant. I I think the enemy would love for you to doubt that God's going to meet your needs. Whatever he puts on your heart, please don't give out of compulsion Because that would steal joy. How does God want us to give? He wants us to give cheerfully. And I'll tell you why I think he does that. I don't think it's because your faces are a lot cuter when you're cheerful. Okay? Trust me. I love my kids when they're hiding a little tooth. They're like, oh, daddy, just wait. It's going to be great. I love that. It's a whole lot better than, well, he did this and, and it all falls apart. Yes, cheerful people are more fun to be around. I think there's a much deeper spiritual thing happening here. What happens when you give something away and feel like not only have you not lost anything, you've gained something. What happens in your mind and in your heart and in your spirit when you give away and you feel like you've gained? I'll tell you what happens in the spiritual realm. The enemy runs out of bullets. The... the. Every sin that we commit is first a breaking of the first commandment. Tim Keller, again, I'm giving that guy all the credit. Get on the Gospel Coalition. You need to read something of his today, apparently. Every sin that we commit is the breaking of the first commandment. You should have no other gods before me. We are built to say, I need this stuff. I need this status. I need this thing. I need this recognition. I need, I need, I need. And the moment we're able to give something away and feel like we have gained, the enemy has no more bullets left. He's, he is absolutely frustrated. Why? Because that's exactly what God did for us in Christ. And when we live that thing out, it steals from him the ability to use stuff as something to fight against us. Verse 8, check it out. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, I would say that verse sort of covers it. I'm gonna give you all grace for all things at all times in all places. What's God saying to his people? I got your back. Okay? Well, you don't understand. How am I supposed to give? The economy is in shambles right now. There is so much uncertain. Really? An election year? You guys weren't thinking it through. Look, why is God asking us and calling us to give now? Because he loves putting on display that his people trust him more than anything else. That's why. I can't tell you how many times people walk up to me and they're like, "Well, I just want to grow in my faith. I, I, I just want, and I'm like, how's your prayer life? How's your reading life? Right? I'm going through all the, foot. We, we know what we're supposed to do as Christians. How often do we get an opportunity that is teed up for us at this well to say, I want to grow in my ability to be generous? Most of us are thinking about ourselves. What if we involved our kids in this? What if we involved our grandkids in this? What if instead of it just being us and figuring it out, we said, hey, kids, we want to give up this. We're going to to give up eating out for a month. And I'm going to let you know how much that saves. And that's going to be what you guys give to the church and the entire community, not just the adults, but the children get to be involved. There, There is a way for us to wrap our heads around this. Why? All things, all times, all places. Check it out. That you may abound. And every good work. Why did God rain bread down? So that people would glorify him? Yes. And so that they would be about the work of the kingdom. God gives to us that we would give to others. Every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely and given to the poor. And there are none more poor than us. I want to close this out in Acts chapter 20. You may not have it there, so you may need to sort of grab a Bible or pull your phone out. Acts chapter 20 verse 25 is where we're going to close out this morning. Paul is, uh, I'm going to end on sort of a heavy note. Paul is about to give his life away for the gospel. He knows it. He sees the writing on the wall. He's lived a full life. He lived a life for the world, and then he lived a life for the Lord. He knew which one was better. And he's about to give his life up, and he has a few last words to say. Acts chapter 20, verse 25. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Paul says, look, this is going to be it. It's as though Paul's preaching his last sermon. He's looking, and he's like, I know this is going to be our last moment. And what does he say to them? Check out verse 35 and 36. These are Paul's last words. In all these things I have shown you, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Paul's about to end it. He says, look, be diligent. Don't just desire things. Diligently go after them and remember Christ. Why do we all have little cups sitting on, us, uh, on our chairs or underneath us? Because this morning we are going to remember what Christ did for us. We're going to remember his words. We're going to remember his work. And here's how Paul ends it. Of all the things that Jesus said, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Of all the things Paul could have ended his ministry on, he looks at the community and he says, it's so much better for us to give than to receive. It was so much better for God to give than to receive. We didn't even have anything to give him in the first place. If you would go ahead and grab your communion cup. We're going to sing a song together. Don't open it yet. I just want you to hold it in your hand. There is some beauty and there's some irony in what I'm about to say. I want you to look at that little cup. This is the cheapest way you can possibly do communion. If you, by the way, let me just step away from the sermon for a minute. If you have not done communion with these little things, you are going to be like, I'm remembering Jesus. I'm remembering Jesus. Because it's it's not bread. All right, get ready. I've given you the forewarning. But I want you to grab it. I want you to hold it for just a minute. Maybe you can remember the first communion you ever took when you were younger. You can probably remember it from different churches in different places, little plastic cups. And, and maybe at some point you were dipping bread in or you were taking it or it was being passed out around. For, for your Christian life, this has been a part of what you did to remember who Christ was. As you look at that little thing, here's my question. Have you really ever held anything of more value? Look, I, I know it's a, a, a little bit of juice and basically a piece of styrofoam. But what it points to is the Son of God on the cross. What it points to is somebody who had every perfect piece of life, and he gave up all of that wealth to become poor, so that you today could hold this silly-looking little cup. Because to us who are in Christ, it's not a silly little cup. It's the blood of Christ that was shed for us. It's the flesh of Christ that was broken for us. Why? Because God didn't just desire to be generous. He was diligent enough to carry it out. Even if that diligence cost him his life. And I I, I believe this with every piece of my being. Of all the value you have ever had or ever will have in your life. You will never hold something more valuable than that. You will never hold something valuable enough to secure your soul with Him for all eternity and all glory with all joy forevermore. It's the most valuable thing we have. And if God sees fit to show us His grace by being generous, by being diligent, then I'm willing to bet that if we are cheerful, not reluctant, not under compulsion, then not only will we accomplish goal that our church has set, but more importantly, God will do something in each and every one of our hearts. He'll make our generosity explode as we recognize how great his grace was for us. Because you know what? Every time I take of this little cup and bread, I'm still a hot mess. It's not like I've gotten everything cleaned up and God has not regretted his sacrifice, even though I have given him every reason to. But he looks at every son and he looks at every daughter and he says, you were worth it. You're not worth it, but you're so worth it. That's the generosity that I'm preaching and reading this morning. I care about the capital campaign. I care that we are a people who are generous because we serve a God who is generous. He will gladly take care of the rest. He always does take care of his children, and he'll take care of us. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to stand up and we're going to worship. If you need prayer, I'm going to be in the back. And I'm so glad to say that because I haven't been able to say that in a couple of weeks. If you need to talk about this sacrifice that Christ made for us, I'd be happy to pray with you. A couple of other people will be back there to pray with you. And then Jimmy's going to come up after this song, and he's going to lead us as a congregation through communion.